Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with David Such. He is a 15-year researcher of near-death experiences. He's had probably at least, I think he said, like 1,200 people that he's talked to that have had near-death experiences. He's also the author of God Took My Clothes. Um, David, I found you on the Next Level podcast, and I was mesmerized by your knowledge, and I'm so glad you joined me today. Thank you for joining me on my show. Well, thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I love your take on so many aspects because, like I said, I've only interviewed probably about 10, maybe 12 near-death experiencers, and all of them, I'm going to just start it with this, all of them have totally different experiences, but every single one of them said they didn't want to come back, and the other side is more real than here. Oh, yeah, that's very common. I mean, even a a woman with a newborn baby will say, oh, no, I'm not going back. My baby will be fine. People are going to take care of her. And, of course, they get convinced to come back by those on the other side. Well, that's the thing, though. You think, oh, no, how could this happen? And you and I were just talking before I started recording, and this brings it up really well because, and I've talked to other people on my podcast about this. I say, you know, I do think we have soul contracts. I do think we kind of decide what we're going to do. I think we can derail. We have free will, the whole thing. But I also think, too, that we say to God or source, whatever you want to call him, I want to go down and get my PhD for you. You know, I, I know we all learn for you. We gather information. We all you're kind of like this big computer in the sky kind of thing. And and you're all about love, though you know, that AI doesn't have that kind of, you know, computer thing doesn't have. <laughs> but I just want you to just give it to me. I don't care what it is. I do think we plan. But sometimes I think God will say, hey, listen, all right, I'll do it. Now, do you want a level one? Or do you want a level 20? And you say, oh, I, I, I'll do it. I want a level 20. Give it all to me. And they have the most horrific, terrible, tragic, really bad lives. And they come down here and they're like, what the heck was I thinking? But, but then when you try to talk to people about it, they think, well, you're victim blaming these people. And I don't think it, do you understand where I'm getting? Okay, so you made an interesting point. We do have soul contracts. So when you're up there on the, on the other side of the veil, you sit down with your soul group and you have many different roles, you know, just like children say, oh, we're going to play cops and robbers. You be the robber and I'll be the cop. And then they switch roles. Right. Well, we do that as souls. So they make a plan. Uh, they plan the major items. And, you know, this, these are going to be my parents. You know, I'll be your brother. These things are going to happen. So any major event, like I had chronic pain for 20 years, you know, something big like that is pre-planned in the soul planning. Now, people think, oh, this is control. Well, no, it's much like a vacation itinerary. Mm. And you can always deviate from the itinerary if you want. Souls have free will, and some people do. There have been some near-death experiences where they said, well, you decided to die now and come home, but if you want to go back and do more work, that's fine. So you can always deviate from the plan, but that's pretty rare because, you know, how often do you plan a trip to Europe and you get there and you say, oh, I I don't like this, I'm going to Tahiti. Right. (laughs) Very rare. So most people stick to their plan. And then there's, of course, uh, elders and people that are there with you, and they're kind of there to get you into a balance. So you don't want to not take on enough challenges and you don't want to challenge so hard that you fail. So you're never given a challenge that you're incapable of, of taking on. And so that level that you talked about, you know, yeah, I want to go to the next level. 
Now, the humans on Earth, I mean, they are souls that incarnate here, and they're, in terms of the souls that incarnate, we're kind of like the daredevil souls. We're like the Navy SEALs or the Green Beret. We're more developed. Earth is the hardest place in this galaxy to incarnate into. It's the most difficult planet in this galaxy, and we're talking hundreds of billions of stars. And it is the third most difficult in the entire universe. Really? So, you know, to those on the other side of the veil, we are the courageous ones. And by incarnating into these lives and having these physical lives and going through these experiences, some of which are very unpleasant, those are the more advanced souls go through more difficult experiences. You know, you take on a bigger challenge. You know, you, when you're a super athlete, you're ready for that triathlon hunter to climb Mount Everest. You don't send new souls on a trek up Mount Everest, right. but they take on the big challenges. But all of us, really, we are part of the engine of growth of the fractal of God. And we also, and this is just a metaphor, we hold the space for the love of heaven to exist. So we're honored in heaven as courageous souls. Wow. Okay. See that, that just gave me chills. It's never been told to me like that before. I I love that, David. So before we get too far into this, what got you so involved and so hungry for knowledge about near-death experiences? In 1999, I came down with tendonitis in my hands, and I did computer work. I was an analyst for small-scale power plants Mm -hmm. uh, for the nation's largest utility, and I couldn't do my computer work uh, like I could before. And it got worse. It went to my jaw and then to my feet, and it got so bad I was out of work for two weeks. And it was eight years of worsening pain. So in 2007, uh, when I took a couple of weeks off of work, I was lost. I had been prayed for by dozens of churches, uh, hundreds of people, and I came to a very painful conclusion. I thought, well, either God doesn't exist, and it's all a lie, or more likely he does exist, but I'm a bad Christian, mm. and you know, I'm the son he's embarrassed of. He, he didn't want anything to do with me. And I clicked on a YouTube video of an atheist who died, uh, found himself in a very negative afterlife experience, called out for help, and was rescued. And, you know, I received training at work because I kind of worked in marketing as part of this analysis. I try and sell these power plant projects to customers. And I took training on how to spot a lie. And these people that I interviewed, they didn't have any of the signs of lying. Matter of fact, their you know facial expressions and mannerisms and gestures indicated that they were being honest. And yeah. so it opened up a new truth to me. And it just started me on a, on a 15-year journey that changed wow. my life completely. I'm grateful for it. Wow. Now, what happened to the pain? Were you able to get surgery? What happened with all that? I did have carpal tunnel release and Guillain's canal release in both my hands, which reduced the pain, but didn't make it go away. And uh, it got worse and worse and worse until 2019 when I was getting an urgent message from my spiritual guides to leave the big city. And I did. And I healed up quite a bit. I still have a little bit of problems, but not like I did. I, I spent three years in a mobility scooter. And I don't use that anymore. It's collecting dust. You know, I can walk and be on my feet much longer than before. And my hands rarely hurt. I mean, it's really diminished. And I'm still healing, but it's, you know, 20% of what it was. And I don't know why. Wow. Well, you know what? There's a reason you had to move to a smaller city. And you're not very far from me. You're just east of me, which is so funny. Uh, I was like, I'm in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And you're like, I'm just east of you. That is so funny. I have synchronicities like this all the time when I interview people. One person I interviewed, David, literally, I did not know her. I met her on TikTok. I interviewed her because I love the Royals. I interview a lot of different kinds of people. And she had just moved four doors down from the street I live on right now. 
She used to live four doors down from me. I know. I'm not even kidding. And it's just, it's insane. So not that that's exactly our situation, but it's funny that, you know, the United States is a pretty big place and you're not that far from me. Um, Just a little side note. So back to what we were talking about, the soul contracts, we make these soul contracts. But I do think that when we're up there, I say up there, that's the only way I can maybe describe it. It might just be beside us. I don't know. Maybe it's to the left a little. I don't know where the other side is. (laughs) But um, I say above just because it's easier and everybody understands what that means. When you're up there making that contract, there's no ego. There's no humanity. You're like, no, 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 I'm good. I can handle this. You know, and then, like I said, when you get down here, you're like, what the heck was I thinking? This is horrible. But here's another thing. What happens when you do decide, hey, listen, I want to learn for God and I want to learn for my higher self, whatever. I want to know what it's like to be abused as a child. I want to know what it's like to die of cancer. I want to know what it's like to be murdered. I mean, what do you say to those things? Well, if you think about it, it is our moments of greatest suffering and greatest trauma. Mm -hmm often when we are learning the most. And so you have people like Mary Kay of Mary Kay Cosmetics. She had a job back in, I don't recall if it was the 50s or 60s, Mm -hmm. but she was selling cosmetics, top salesperson. And her trainee, the person she trained that wasn't selling as good near her, it wasn't as good as her, got promoted eventually and was her boss and making double what she was. And she couldn't move up the corporate ladder because back then women were kind of repressed in in corporate life. And she got mad and said, well, I'm starting my own company. (laughs) She became a billionaire, you know, Oprah Winfrey, raped and pregnant at 14, suicidal. And she turned around and became a spokesperson for freedom and rights. And she helps young African ladies. She's got a program or had a program where she helped them with her tuition. And even our mythical characters, Batman, he sees his parents get killed in front of him when he's a child. And so he turns around and becomes a a superhero for justice and defending the innocent. I mean, one of the reasons why I tend to do my best to be a kind and gentle person is because I got picked on and and people were mean to me my whole life up until uh, a few years ago. And I, I was like in this victim role. And so we learn our toughest lessons And it makes us better people when we suffer. You know, uh, who appreciates good food more? The king's son who eats in the royal palace every meal of his life or the kid who was a starving child on the streets of Haiti and all of a sudden he's got plentiful food. Who appreciates it more, you know? So it, it makes us better people. It develops us. I have to say I agree. Now to the people that say, well, you're victim blaming those poor people because, you know, that little girl that was raped as a child, you know, the 14 year old, or, you know, my mother who died of cancer just all of a sudden just very quickly died. You know, I do think we plan those things. I I do think that we, you know, and like you said, maybe it's rare. Maybe they say, you know, I'm not quite ready. Can I, can I jump back in? And well, yeah, but you may have a very hard life with a really messed up body because you were in a car accident or whatever. But what do you think, David, about people that are just not good people? Because in my mind, and from what I've been told over and over and over again, it doesn't matter what happens here. Everybody goes back to source. My understanding, though, is maybe we're not all on the same frequency. Like you and I, you and I die today. We're probably going to be around the same frequency. We're trying to spread awareness. We're good people. But the Dahmers and the Charles Mansons and the people that just are either mentally not there or just evil. What do you think about that? Well, to have these earthly experiences where we go through trauma and learn from it, 
we have to have somebody playing the bad guy. I mean, when you go yes. to the theater yes. and you watch a play and the, the play is over and they all come out, all the actors come out on stage and take a bow, do we praise the actor who played the good guy and boo the actor who played the bad guy? No, they're all applauded. Wow. We're all just fucking rules down here. And you don't learn to live in light and love until you have passed through many, many moments of darkness. So when I see people acting out their most horrific behavior, I realize there's a purpose to that. I mean, there's a, a phrase or an idea that I get over and over and over again from near-death experiencers, and that is there's a perfect plan, and it's working itself out in its perfection. Well, it sure doesn't seem like that right. from an earthly perspective, but when we're in heaven, we see it. We see the benefits and the growth. And so, yeah, there are no victims. The souls know the potentials before they come here. And even people playing the bad guy or the bad woman, they are fulfilling an important role. If you wish to propel yourself towards the light even further, you have to dip down into darkness. It's like jumping on a trampoline. The higher you want to go, the lower you have to sink when you're dipping down. The dance of consciousness is always one of two steps forward and one step back. Wow. And, you know, the bad guys are doing that big step back. And, of course, there are things that happen that are not in the soul planning. For instance, I heard in one NDE uh, was told that Hitler never intended to start World War II. That was not in his soul plan. Mm. Yeah, so we have these plans, and we dip in the darkness, but it's, it's all to propel us towards the light, towards a higher level of consciousness, towards a greater appreciation of emotion, of love and compassion. Compassion being what we're specialists down here on Earth. We're really working on the energy of compassion. That's our specialty as human beings. Right. And honestly, because if you think about it, if he didn't plan on that, what about all those millions of people who passed? They didn't plan on that either, correct? Well, they, they knew the potentials before they came here, but the things that we see as tragedies here are not necessarily so tragic. Mm. I remember one near-death experiencer, he, he murdered somebody, and he's going through his life review, and he's with these angelic spiritual beings, and he goes through the part where he murdered the guy, and he's all upset. And they said, what's wrong? And he says, I just murdered somebody. And they said, no, you're doing fine. He goes, but I killed a person. And they said, no, he's here. He's up in heaven. He's fine. He's doing great. He's going to go back. He didn't really kill anybody. And the very first ND you ever heard from Howard Storm, he asked Jesus about, he was with Jesus and seven or eight angels. And he asked Jesus, well, what about the Holocaust? How could God let that happen? Yeah. Well, human beings did that. And he took them to the Holocaust and showed them the ovens. They were there. And, you know, just like a hologram on Star Trek, you know, the holodeck, it looked really real. And the Germans are yelling at these Jews, and and some of them are being burned in the ovens. Yeah. And he says, so where's God? And Jesus says, look up. And he looked up, and where these Jews had just been burned in the ovens, he could see the souls rising, hundreds of souls. Mm. And there to greet them were thousands of beautiful angels. And these souls who had just died were overjoyed to have escaped pain and suffering. They were overjoyed to be young and healthy and alive again, when you come out of your body, you feel really good. And so it wasn't the tragedy that we see it as. You know, it's just sort of a, a game we play down here for the purposes of learning and growing and making connections. You know, it's funny. I'm sure you know about Dolores Cannon. She did say, it's all a big play. We're all characters in our own play. Mm -hmm. but, but also, how could God let that happen? The pandemic. It's the same kind of thing. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, so the pandemic was a choice that humanity made collectively on a subconscious level. Mm 
And there are always wild cards. So things like our end, you know, Revelation, Mothership, and Nostradamus. Those predictions were accurate, but humans have free will. We were going to destroy ourselves. That was the potential. And you had a wild card called JFK who came along and averted the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, one of the things we decided to do was allow this pandemic to happen. And it was for multiple purposes. So the earth that we are stressing out by polluting the air, the water, the soil, needed a breather. And we saw that happen. You know, people in uh, close to the Himalaya Mountains, 30, 40 miles away, couldn't see them. And for the first time in 20, 30 years, they could see the mountains. And yes. scientists were amazed how fast the earth started cleaning up. So yes. God, it needed a breather. It did some other things. It made people face their fear of death. I mean, I went to the IANS conference last year, International Association of Near-Death Experience Studies, and there were multiple people I met that died of COVID and had near-death experiences. And now they're bringing back these beautiful stories of the afterlife. It forced people to reevaluate their purpose. You know, my life is not all about work. It forced people who were in bad relationships to either work on the relationship and repair it or to break it off and move on so they could continue with their path and their journey. And so it had all these purposes. And, you know, even one of them will probably be in the future. And what I've heard from the other side of the veil is that generations from now, as scientists are looking at the graph of human lifespan going up and up and up over time, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a little dip right around the time of the pandemic. And it's even going to be called the Corona dip because it was first called coronavirus before they called it COVID. And they will be perplexed at first, like, okay, we can account for all the negative effects of the survivors that COVID had and, you know, shortening the lifespan, but that doesn't account for this big dip in average lifespans. Why is this happening? And then they realize that fear and anxiety shortens people's lives. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the opposite is true when you're in a state of joy or peace it slows your aging down. And so there are all these things. There's probably a lot of others that I'm unaware of, but the pandemic had its purpose. And nobody, not a single person really died. You know, we're eternal beings. We can't be extinguished. Once a a soul kind of is separated from God and develops on its own, it's permanent. (laughs) You've always been in existence and you always will be. Not a single soul can be extinguished. If a single soul was extinguished, the whole machine of creation would break down, but that's impossible. So that'll right. never happen. So yeah, the pandemic had a purpose for raising our consciousness. It really was, you know, but it was a big awakening for so many people, including me. And I felt like I was pretty open to a lot of this stuff already, but it really did change my perspective on love, on forgiveness, on peacefulness. Do you know, I mean, I am a whole different person from the nearly four years ago that we started this pandemic. And it's just incredible to me, the change that even just I've had. Yeah. And for me, it was very similar. I left the big city right before the pandemic in August, 2019, I was getting this strong urge that had been going on for years. And it got to a point where I couldn't ignore it. And it was get out of Los Angeles where I had lived for 40 years, Mm. buy a trailer, sell everything you have and go live on the road. For two years, which I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's when I found this new home. And now I live on a mountaintop in the middle of the woods in East Texas. Mm-hmm. And I have a peace I never thought was possible. And, you know, probably part of that was this pandemic coming and this change I had to make in my life. And we're often forced to make changes and we resist. And that's what causes the pain is, is resisting the change. Exactly. Uh, so 
it did change a lot of people. And when you look at the big long-term picture, I think a lot of people are going to see that their lives were improved. Oh, absolutely. And before we started recording, you and I were talking about past lives. And I was like, I don't know if you believe in reincarnation. And of course, you were like, oh, I know about three of my past lives. And one of them wasn't even on, on this planet. So tell me about that. One of them, I remember being a little girl in a school uniform in China. And we would sing this song every morning. And I was washing dishes one day. And that's kind of a, when you're doing like a menial task, where you're not really thinking. It's kind of a meditative state. Yeah. And I started singing this song in Chinese. And it rhymed. <laughs> and it was familiar to me. And when I got done, I thought, what was that? <laughs> right. But as I was singing it, I was getting visions of me being a little girl. In China, and I was very happy. That was a very happy life. And that, that was years ago. And just recently, I had a past lives regression therapist. Yeah. He had a podcast and had me on, and then he did a past life regression for me. And he says, oh, yeah, you had a life in China. And I didn't tell him about the little girl memory. Oh, I wow. also remember being a Nazi soldier. I remember throwing a grenade into a basement because my friend had gotten killed in front of me when he opened this door to a basement. He got shot right in front of me. I remember that. Oh, wow. And I remember a couple of weeks later, I was really mad. And I heard it down there and I threw a grenade down there and it blew up and I looked and it was a family hiding from oh, me, no. from us. And there was a little girl screaming, the little boy and the parents were dead. And uh, yeah, that was traumatic. And I remember thinking, oh, they're not the monsters. I am because oh. we thought of them as humans. I remember that. And uh, some memories, you know, if they're traumatic, they'll carry over into another lifetime. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I have a couple of memories. So what about the one that you didn't have on Earth? Oh, that one I don't like to talk about because that's probably the worst. It, really? But I'll just say that I was I was being forced at the threat of my family being kept safe and not being killed. I was being forced to work on a weapon that killed other people. Okay, okay. Now, is it safe to say you were not human? I was humanoid. I Yeah, okay. I looked human. But the, the thing I remember is there was this long hallway where I had to go down to this long hallway and there was... Part of it where I had this job as a technician as part of the startup process. I don't remember details about that, but it was just the startup process. And I would take this little cart down this long hallway, but it had no wheels. <laughs> it oh. just levitated. Oh, wow. And that's the part I remember going down this long hallway towards the door where I worked. Mm. But I remember being very angry at being manipulated. You know, like it was either my family was going to die or I helped kill people. And I remember how angry and trapped I felt and how much I hated them. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I interviewed someone who has studied UFOs for 30 years. And so he said, listen, uh, they're all around us. They're the greys. They're here to help us. They're here to transition us into understanding that they are good. Alien. I think there are good and bad ones. Uh, but he said, these are the good ones and that they're all among us and they know about me and they know about you and they know about a lot of people and they do a lot of good and they keep the people that are trying to raise awareness they specialize on those people and they even try to keep them around a little longer. Like they sometimes go in and heal these people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, they, they told me that's what they do. Yeah. They're very involved with us. So when a species ascends, if they don't destroy themselves and they become an ascended species, and that's the road that we're on, thanks to a lot of help from above. And when I say above, I mean both heaven and the good aliens. So about 95% of them are benevolent or neutral and there's five percent that are misbehaving and the five percent that are misbehaving if you have a low consciousness as a species you're also limited in the technology you can develop oh nice so to know. 
<laughs> okay, that's so they're good to know. Kept in check by the ninety-five percent of good ones. But when you become an ascended species, your job then becomes to seed life on another planet and kind of watch over them. You know, when you you're a child, you grow up, then your job becomes to be the parents. So we've been the child, the Pleiadians. It's a very large group of many species. It's called the Galactic Federation of Worlds. Yes. And yes, they have transporters and replicators, and they have a prime directive where they're not supposed to interfere with species that haven't made interstellar contact. And you're thinking, this sounds like Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Gene Rodberry created Star Trek. He met a Pleiadian trans channeler or Pleiadian. It's not clear, but that's where he got his really? ideas. So there really is this group. And they seeded life on this planet. They're very benevolent. They've had technology for millions of years. They're watching over us. They're protecting us right now. And they're just guiding us gently, sort of giving us our free will. I mean, they have the technology, for instance, to clean up our entire atmosphere and, and all the garbage on our planet. They could do it within 30 days. But they're not going to do it for the same reason you a mother would not clean her child's room for him. He's not going to (laughs) learn. So they're watching over us. They're taking care of us. And someday we'll meet them. But we're not ready yet. Because, you know, what if I told you, hey, uh, that neighbor across the street there, that guy spends half his money on guns and ammo and bulletproof vests and weapons. And if somebody unknown shows up at his door, he's going to meet you with a gun. Well, you wouldn't knock on the guy's door. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I just described the federal government. Half their money on military, and if the spaceship landed on the White House lawn, would they be met with hugs and flowers, or would there be a military response? (laughs) Yeah, we're not ready yet. We're not mature enough yet, but we will. It's probably going to happen before 2050. You know, I I agree. Um, I've heard this, and I've also heard, though, David, too, that they kind of hover around our nuclear power plants, and they make sure that we're not doing some crazy stuff over there, too. Oh, yeah, they have this prime directive where they're not supposed to interfere, but it's a guideline. It's not a hard, fast rule that they can't break. So they will do things like, you know, some group fires a missile to try and start a war. There are lots of people, lower vibrational states, many globalists who want to drag things back to the old energy, you know, war and all that. And so they may decide to eliminate that missile to avoid a war. So they do subtle things. And, of course, if you see a spaceship, if you see a flying saucer, it's not Pleiadian. I mean, they have camouflage. I mean, we're working on it now. You can go on YouTube and type in military camouflage. I mean, we're starting to get good at it ourselves. Of course, they've got camouflage. So eventually what, what they'll do, though, is they'll start turning it off, and they'll allow more and more and more people to see their ships. And when it becomes commonplace, like, yeah, everybody's seen them dozens of times. We know they're here. We know they don't mean us any harm. Then they'll show up because that way it won't cause a panic. Exactly. But I also understood, though, that if for some reason we did have some kind of nuclear war, it would be a ripple effect and affect their planets and their galaxies and all that. So they have to maybe step in then. (laughs) Well, it's funny you mentioned that. And this is a little far-fetched, but uh, this is what I've heard. They can travel back in time. I believe what that does is it creates a parallel reality. So three NDEs that I've heard were shown parallel versions of Earth. And so our scientists already know about this. They call it the multiverse theory. It's a well-known theory. And so basically what happened is Earth is the only free will planet where we can, you know, go back between fear and love. And the rest of the galaxy learns from us. So we're kind of important. And what happened now, this is real spotty information. You know, when I hear things about like the love of heaven and I hear it hundreds of times, 
or our eternal nature or the fact that we're all connected. These are things I believe without a doubt. When I hear something from a dozen testimonies, I'm a little (laughs) apprehensive about believing it or whatever. So basically, human beings started integrating technology into their bodies. So first something you carry, like a cell phone, and then something you wear, like a watch or Google Glasses and that kind of thing, and then implants, and now they're talking about it on you know, tech news that you know, we're going to have a chip that you implant in your brain and connect you to the Internet. Well, we went in that direction and we kind of became like the Borg on Star Trek. So biology is the best technology. Some species go down the route of technology. And when you start integrating technology into your body, it sort of dulls the emotions and disconnects you from that common connection we all mm-hmm. feel. And so we became very good at what we do. We change and evolve faster than other species. And we became a scourge in the galaxy, and we were causing a lot of problems. So the Pleiadians don't blow things up. That's that's barbaric. That's not how you go to war. So they have like a temporal war. So they go back in time. They tweak some things. They influence a few key people to get the result they want, and they were successful. Uh, the rest of the galaxy thought what they were doing was very risky and that we were going to dip too far into darkness and destroy ourselves and no planet in the history of this galaxy dipped so far into darkness without destroying ourselves. So when we started going back up towards the light, when we, you know, it was clear we were going to make it and become an ascended species and we weren't going to have an Armageddon destroy ourselves, there was a great cheering. And so still, right now, we're just coming out of it. We're like the two-year-old that's learning not to punch each other in the sandbox. <laughs> and, uh, and the rest of the galaxy, just all eyes are upon us, just like, wow, they did it. Ooh, the humans pulled through Earth, with right? the help of the Pleiadians and help from above. And so it was there was a great celebration when we passed that marker. Oh, okay, I'm blo- first of all, I'm like, my jaw is on the floor. Um, okay, so they go back in time and, and tweak it. Does that cause the Mandela effect? That's exactly what it comes from. So like when you're copying files from one part of your computer to another and you've got like duplicate photos yeah. and the computers say, well, wait a minute, there's two with the same name and the same size. Which one do you want to keep? Well, that's what we do. So we merge two realities, a timeline splits, and then it'll merge again. And then you get to decide which memory to keep. Well, some people keep one memory and some keep another. And that's where the Mandela effect comes from. That's a real thing. I, because I, I tell you, yeah, I'm old enough, you know, I'm in my 50s. And I remember Mandela, Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 90s. I remember that. I have that, I have that memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, okay, you're, yeah. And when I'm like, wait a minute, and I'm watching the news or whatever, and they're, oh, he's getting out of prison. I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, what just happened? <laughs> like, what is going on? So that, I've never heard anyone say this. This is amazing. And I'm all about the woo-woo. I don't care how woo-woo you get. I'm an open, well, I'm an open book in the way of, and I take what resonates with me. And that's what I tell my listeners to take what resonates with you. If it doesn't, you know, that's absolutely fine too. We all have our own journeys within this, you know, lifetime. My husband doesn't believe in any of this woo-woo stuff, right? But I think when he did his contract with God or source or whatever you want to call it, he said, listen, I'm, you know, I'll marry Leslie, whatever. But I want to know what it's like really not to kind of be that connected with you. I'm not an atheist, but I don't know if I really want to be connected. I want to feel what it feels like to, to still be a great human and still want to volunteer my time and still want to drive for Meals on Wheels and still want to work with autistic children. He does that in his spare time, but he really doesn't, you know, he doesn't really believe in any of this stuff. But I think I have enough belief for both of us. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, and you know, your husband, the feeling I got when you talked about him is he's very grounded, very earth-based, yes. and there's nothing wrong with choosing a life like that. There's some advantages. And in terms of whether you're connected or not, or whether you know any of this spiritual knowledge or not, it's almost completely irrelevant, because the entire purpose of these lives that we have down here, it's all about love. It's all about learning to love unconditionally in a harsh environment. And children, when we're a child, we're the most spiritually mature that we'll ever be. They live in the moment. They're not angry about what happened yesterday or worried about what happens tomorrow. And they love unconditionally. And so children live in unconditional love without a bit of knowledge of anything spiritual or aliens or past lives or any of that. And really, you can do that. You can just be innocent. I mean, think about how mature in terms of unconditional love children are. You know, if you were having a really bad day and you walked up to a random adult in public and said, I'm really sad and I'm having a bad day. Can I have a hug? You probably would have a hard time getting a hug. But what if you walked into a room of children and said that to one of them? Oh, You'd absolutely. probably get a hug. Oh, absolutely. They know how to unconditionally love and they're open. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and my husband, he's so in every other aspect, he's such an old soul. And I hate using that word because I think we're all the same age. I think old soul and new soul has to do with how many lives you've had maybe here. I don't even know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Because I think new soul could be, hey, you're new to earth, but you've been on other planets. And we're like I said, I think we all have been around for a long time. I don't think there's a do you do you agree with me with the new and the old soul thing? Well, there's no time in heaven, so to say yeah. new and old soul is not really accurate, right. but I would say more developed. Right. And yeah. it's not like one superior to the other. You know, is the giant oak superior to the, the new sapling? Well, no. <laughs> it's just a different exactly. stage of development. Exactly. So, yeah, and we don't start here. Like, Earth is, it's the Mount Everest to physical incarnations. You don't send a child who just learned how to walk last week on a trek up Mount Everest, they're going to die. So you don't start your physical lives on earth. So it's kind of like the opposite, you know, like a brand new driver. You can't put them in a really beat up old car with bad brakes and loose steering and all sorts of problems. They're going to crash it. They need a a brand new, perfectly working car because they don't know what they're doing. And a soul, when they're first incarnations in the physical lives, they need a planet like the Pleiades where they're living in this peaceful utopian societies. Nothing crazy is going on. There's no war. There's no people stealing things. Everybody's your friend. You can trust everybody. And then you go harder and harder and harder till you work up to earth. And I've heard that the average human, because you're more developed souls here, is around a million years old if you add up all their lifetimes. Wow. And a light worker you know, somebody does what you do is probably three to 10 million years. Oh, wow. I need some plastic surgery, maybe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. But no, I love that you kind of picked up on something about my husband. Is that a gift that you have? Tell me about that. Well, you know, I'm not very psychic. I mean, I can't tell you what tomorrow's lottery numbers are going to be or what stocks are going up. But when I get on a call with my clients, so I'm a certified spiritual counselor and I get on a call with them, a Zoom meeting, They'll mention a name, and I just get all this psychic stuff. Oh, wow. And it gets, it's really strong. And then when I get off, you know, I can't use it to financially benefit myself. And one day I complained about it, and I heard very clearly in my head, your gift is not for financial profit. It's oh, to wow. help other okay. people. So I, I get feelings from places. Uh, I see things that are going to happen before they happen, but it's not like a, a good psychic or a good medium where they can think about something and read it. I get something, either comes or it doesn't, 
And I'll give an example. I was camping with my wife at this place called McCoy's Ferry in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And we were going to stay there a few nights, and I was just real uncomfortable there. It was beautiful. And the next morning, I said, we, we have to leave. Somebody was murdered here. <gasps> now, I don't know why I said that. I didn't know anything about my, yeah. this place, McCoy's Ferry. It's a beautiful campground along this river. Sure. And so when we got back into town where there was an internet signal, I looked up McCoy's Ferry just to see is there a news story that somebody got murdered there. No, there was no recent news story, but the history of the place was it was a ferry crossing during the Civil War, and it was the only place to cross for several hundred miles, and they fought over control, the north and south, fought over control of that ferry crossing. Oh, wow. And they built the campground on the previous battlefield, so mm. thousands of people had died on that site, and I felt it. You were and and everybody, everybody's psychic. Everywhere in the world is psychic. They all use the psychic abilities. They just don't realize it. I agree. And I'm going to ask you about ghosts. But before I do that, I don't know. I haven't told you this. When my mother passed away in 2017, she kind of believed like I do. You know, we believe there's, you know, the paranormal, blah, blah, blah. So what I said is, mom, whoever goes first is before she got sick. Whoever goes first, we got to let each other know what's going on, right? So of course she goes first. And for a couple of years, I didn't even try. But for months and months, I kept thinking, because I have friends that are psychics and mediums and all that. I, I have them on my show. They're fantastic. They said, just talk to her. She's right there. She's not anywhere different than where you are right now. She's just the incredible invisible woman. That's really, she's just gained a superpower. Okay. And that's how I look at it, right? So finally, I just said, mom, if you're there, this is after so many months of practicing. Mom, if you're there, what do you do? Do you have a job? And she goes, I do. I'm a greeter. And I was like, what? And that's totally sounds like something she do. And now I can actually talk to my mom on the other side. Cause just like you said, we all have gifts. And then I just got an, an email from a, a long lost friend who was friends with a guy that I dated years ago, but we didn't stay in contact, but he was a good guy and all the things, right? We didn't, we didn't break up in a bad way. It's just, we weren't meant for each other. Hadn't seen him in years. And he's just said, listen, I want to let you know this particular person passed away last November. I don't know if you knew, but he, you know, he died of bladder cancer. And I was like, oh, no, here, sorry to hear that. And so when I was talking to my mom, I was like, you know, I wonder if he's up there. She goes, oh, yeah, he's here. And so I, I asked about him and I said, how are you? He goes, listen, if I'd have known this place was so great. I'd <laughs> and then I said, well, do you have a job? Because I think they all want jobs or at least I think they do. And he says, I teach humanity classes. Where would I have gotten that? He teaches yeah, humanity. Yeah, I don't know where I got it, David. And because I, I don't, where would I have gotten that? I would have made that up. He teaches humanity. But then when I t- think about it, I'm like, well, yeah, we got, you can't just have a child, you know, that's just learning to walk, climb Mount Everest, just like you said. So it's like, I think that's a thing up there. Sure, we all have jobs. We all, and they're not like jobs on earth where it's like, well, I can't wait till the weekend oh, so yeah, I have yeah. time for myself. <laughs> It's no, calling, it's the yeah. job. It's something you would do even if you didn't get paid. You're like, if you were a billionaire, but you've got to do something to contribute to humanity, what do you love to do? Like That's going to be similar to yeah. a job in heaven. There's the division between work and leisure here. In heaven, it's the same. Your job is what you love to do and what you're really good at doing. And, of course, people in heaven report being very busy. And it's not like stress busy. It's like, you know, when you go on a vacation and there's so many things you want to say – see and do so you've got this full itinerary that kind of busy it's a pleasant kind of busy but yes they have a job they have specific purposes and of course they absolutely do hear us those on the other side of the veil if you talk to them they will absolutely hear you and respond we don't always realize when they're responding some people like you can hear it and others can't but 
I recall one NDE. It was a guy who died, and he was with his grandfather in heaven. Mm. And he said to his grandfather, what do you guys do up here? Yeah. And they said, well, one of the things we like to do is help you guys down there. Now, this person, his father was a congressman, and I don't think he mentioned who the congressman was. But mm -hmm. the grandfather says, well, I'm going to show you right now. Matter of fact, i got to go talk to your dad. So he goes down, and they're in their spirit forms, you know, so nobody can see him. But they go into this congressional meeting, this little side meeting. And his, sees his dad there talking to this group, and the grandfather leans over and whispers into his ear. He says, son, you've got to get to that charity event. And this guy witnesses his father just go, oh, geez, I'm sorry. We're going to have to stop the meeting. I've got to catch a plane. I forgot I'm speaking at this charity event. Wow. So they talk to us, yeah. and we'll hear them as a thought in our head or or an emotion. There's angels that yes. are specialties in certain emotions. So if you have a problem forgiving, they come down and they shine this emotion of forgiveness. And it's not control. The human can always reject it, but they're good at what they do. So they often convince us to do the right thing. Yeah, because listen, I was so doubting myself for so long. I was like, am I, am I just making this? Because I really, truly thought I'm making this stuff up. But when she said she was a greeter, I was like, okay, I don't think I would have just made, I, I don't think I could have made that up. I didn't know that was a thing. You know, well, I didn't have to get greeted. Exactly. Yeah. And I said, well, what kind of greeter are, are you? Do you just greet everyone? She goes, I greet the people that don't have people here yet to greet them, like younger kids who don't remember. Because at first you're at, you know, you have that amnesia. You don't remember all the people that are standing around you. So she's the friendly face to maybe some of the younger people that don't know who's on the other side. And she helps guide them to their soul family once they start understanding and recognizing them and coming out of the fog of being alive. Yes. Yeah. It was very, we talked about her, I was getting like uh, images, like she's got this, I don't know if she was that way here on earth, but she's got this super friendly, open, like there's some people you meet or just you look at them and they just look really approachable. Like, oh, this is a safe, friendly person that's yes. going to. I walk up to them, they're going to throw their arms around me. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. That's the images I was yeah. getting with her. Oh, you're absolutely right. I just loved her dearly. And we had a tumultuous relationship for a long time when she was alive. But at the end, she really tried. And I forgave and got rid of all the junk I could have carried through. And, um, and now I asked her, I said, Mom, I know we all have guides, but I would love it if you would just be one of mine. Just be one of mine too. You know, I know that doesn't always happen, but I asked her, I said, will you be a guy? And she goes, absolutely, I'll help you. No problem, I gotta do is ask. Yeah, I'm aware that my grandfather on my mother's side is one of my guides. Is one of your guides, exactly. So if, when you're doing well, you probably only have one or two guides that are with you. You're never alone. You've always got guides with you all the time. Exactly. If you're doing well, you might only have one or two. If you're going through a rough patch, maybe five. If you're going through something horrific, you might have 20. And so there's some that are there all the time, and there's others that come and go. And, I've of course, it's that. very important. I want to mention this yes. to the listeners. Our spiritual helpers down here, there's more than double than there are human beings. So they outnumber us at least two to one. Oh, well, that's good to there know. Are some <laughs> things, yeah, so there are some things they can do just at their will. They're free to do these things to help us out. And there are some things that they can never do because if you help the student too much, if you do their homework for them, they're not, not going to learn. So they're restricted from helping us too much. But then there's a whole another set of things that they're only allowed to do if the human being asks. Yes. So it's really important when you're going through a tough time, say, all those beings of light who are helping me, I ask for all the help and assistance you are allowed to give me. You know, and say it out loud so your ears hear it. 
and you'll be helped more. I love that. That is amazing. And real quick, before we go, because I want to ask you, what do you think are ghosts? Let me tell you what my theory is, and you can poo-poo it or tell me that maybe that's another theory that's another theory. I have talked to enough people to think that I think it's more of a ghost or a fractal, just like we're a fractal of God. I think they're fractals of a fear or tragedy or a love of a place or an obsession or whatever it is. And that energy can gain a conscious or can gain, you know, energy can grow, you know, so I don't know if it's, I think it can grow in intelligence. I'm not talking about residual. I'm actually talking about literal ghosts that can communicate. What do you think about that? I've heard very little about that subject from the other side of the veil, but the little I've heard was almost exactly what you described. (laughs) Not the best description you can give. And of course, if you're having a problem with a ghost that you think is somewhat less than friendly or negative energies in a house or something like that, one of the best things to do, because dark energies do not like light, you know, like you turn the kitchen light on, the cockroaches scurry. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like a foul smell. Love is like a foul smell to the dark energies. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a house that's having a problem with spirits and you're a couple, a couple who really loves each other deeply, who make love, create this amazing positive energy. And it's generally enough to repel the dark energies really? just like a you know, mosquito repellent. They don't like the smell. They take off. Right. So David, I want to talk about your book now, because I think you're actually working on book two. But tell me why you wrote a book. Tell me everything about it. Well, I wrote a book because when I started investigating near-death experiences, I found lots of books that talked about an individual's personal near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And some of them were really good. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of books out there that were high spiritual topics, very esoteric, And if you weren't already spiritually educated, they're very difficult to understand. But I didn't see any books out there that were kind of a spirituality 101. Mm. This is what they say. Now, Raymond Moody's book, uh, Life After Life, published in 1975, did a decent job at the overview of the NDE, but they didn't really go into the purpose of humanity on Earth and the things that are happening present day, you know, mm-hmm. competition versus cooperation, mm-hmm. the nature of the soul and who we are. So I created it just to have a spirituality 101 introduction, nice. a sort of an overview of who we are, what our purpose is, what heaven's like, the nature of what we do. I love the name. God took my clothes. Where did you get that? <laughs> it was kind of interesting. That was actually uh, spiritual help naming the book. I was with a friend of mine who doesn't believe in all this stuff. He's mm-hmm. Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him, I need to come up with a name for the book, and I can't think of a name. And he blurted out, God took my clothes. <laughs> and I thought, well, how's that going to fit? And then I realized that the very first NDE I ever heard, Howard Storm, he was in a hellish environment in the afterlife, sort of outside the gates of this horrible place, and he called out to Jesus for help and got rescued. Well, in heaven... What you think gets projected into reality. Mm-hmm. So he had this light body, and he had his clothing on, his hospital gown, and and it got ripped off by these negative entities and this horrible place he was in. So when he was in heaven, he was naked the whole time. <laughs> and, of course, he was embarrassed about it, and they said, well... Yeah, you know, like the idea is like, are you embarrassed when a dog walks down the street? You know, the dog's naked. It's like, well, no, that's just what a dog looks like. And I said, yeah, that's just like what a human looks like. We've seen you naked many times. Just, just relax. So yeah, the whole time. And he said his NDE 
was more extensive than his college degree. So he was standing there for eight years naked talking to these guys, asking them all these questions. So, Wow, yeah. that is so great. And tell me about book two. Is it going to be the same kind of book um, or something different? The second book that I'm writing, and I just started it, is called The New World of Love. Mm. And I wanted to write something that addressed the doom and gloom of mainstream news media. You know, mm. if you look at the world today, it looks yes. like everything's going to hell. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> just, does. it doesn't look good. Yeah. But really, we're playing out a beautiful, elegant success story. And 150 years from now, we're going to be living this peaceful, utopian society. Uh, we're, we're about 50 years away from peace on Earth, which will be the, just the first step. And so we've got a really bright future. And I just wanted to write something to show the true success story of humanity. We yes. made it. We did it. The galaxy cheered for us. I mean, this is something to be excited about, not fearing. All the chaos that's happening, that's all the dark stuff coming to the surface and being dealt with, you know? Right. When your house is messed up and it's got leaky plumbing and the electrical's bad and the rain's outside and rain's inside and the wood is rotten and you got to bulldoze it to build something better that serves you better. The day the bulldozers come and knock your house over, it seems like the end of the world. Mm. We're making way for new stuff. Oh, what an amazing thing to end this interview on. And David, where can my listeners contact you if they would like to talk to you or uh, learn more about you? Sure. You can go to godtookmyclothes.com. Mm-hmm. And that's got a link to my spiritual counseling services. And I have a program for people with financial hardships. And there's also a two-chapter preview of the book, you know, so you can see if it's your kind of material before you spend money on something like that. And then there's some links to some other near-death experience resources. And so my email is there, and people can contact me. If you don't need a session or you're on a budget, you can send me an email. And at the time of this recording, I'm still responding to all emails and nice. questions, and that's, of course, free of charge. Very nice. Oh, David, well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I might have to have you back. You were incredible, your insight, your knowledge. And I just sometimes I don't get everything in. And I think, you know, what? I'm just going to have him back and talk again. So if you're up for that, I may have you back. I would be delighted. And thank you so much, Leslie, for having me on the show. And I think your work with Because I Want to Know is really helping lead humanity into that new world of love. Mm-hmm. Thank you for everything you do. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.